It's Window Nation's semi-annual sale, and it's a big deal. Right now, get 50% off all windows along with no interest for five years plus bonus savings when you schedule a consult today. If your windows leak, get foggy or hot, or you're paying high utility bills, that's a big deal. With Window Nation's semi-annual sale, you can replace your windows and save a big deal, too. Schedule a no-obligation in-home estimate now. Call 866-90-NATION or visit windownation.com. This is Matt Spiegel, and I can't wait to bring you Season 2 of the PBP, Voices of Baseball. The very best play-by-play voices in the game talk about their craft. It's a job so special that even Joe Buck told us he will probably go back to it. I'm 53, basically 54. I I think it's too early to say nevers at this point in my life. I think at some point I'll get the itch again. Incredible guests sharing great stories from your favorite teams coming this year. Find us on the Odyssey app or wherever you find podcasts. It's episode three of This Week in Fantasy. I'm your host, James Seltzer. We got Sigmund Bloom coming up in just a little bit. We are uh, on the eve of the biggest draft weekend of the season. And of course, uh, this game starting next week, Thursday night, we have the opener. So, we got a lot of good stuff coming up with Sigmund, and I'm going to get another episode out uh, prior to the week one preview and all that, just to give one more kind of draft update right before the drafts begin this weekend and, and the beginning of next week. But before I jump into Sigmund, a couple news and notes, and then what I'm going to try and do real quick, just because we've talked so many sleepers and so many busts and all that kind of stuff, and uh, you know, kind of the off the radar, the handcuffs. I'm just going to take the top 180P and I'm just going to breeze through it real quick and give some thoughts on what stands out. But first and foremost, let's just get into a couple quick notes. Uh, Obviously, I think the biggest news right now, the injury to Teddy Bridgewater, just a gruesome, awful, even though you don't see it, you call it gruesome just from the the stories that you hear and the players throwing uh, their helmets and the, the you could hear pin drop and all that kind of stuff. And um, clearly the injury, the stuff that uh, Will Carroll put out about the injury and whatnot about uh, basically his leg potentially being saved and obviously his career as well by the, the quick action of the trainers. Really a serious, awful injury and, and all uh, you know thoughts and hopes go out to Teddy for a, for a quick recovery. But uh, how it influences from a fantasy perspective is what we have to focus on here. And uh, I don't think it's the biggest deal, Teddy was not necessarily the best fantasy quarterback, or not at all the best fantasy quarterback, and also not necessarily a a huge piece of others' fantasy success. AP has been very successful uh, with a lot of crappy quarterbacks, but I certainly think you have to ding the rest of the team a little bit. Stephon Diggs was someone I really liked heading into draft season and going through draft season, and uh, I think you have to worry a little bit about that after the injury just because... There was a chemistry there and a connection, so uh, I'm a little worried about Diggs, at least more so than I was, but whether it's Sean Hill or Mark Sanchez or uh, or whatever, I do think that those guys will at least be okay, and that offense will not completely crater without Bridgewater, but it's certainly a little bit of a blow, and I think you move AP towards the back of that first round rather than the middle for sure if you hadn't already done that. Uh, as well. Uh, the one other piece of news, obviously, Tony Romo's injury happened a little bit ago. Uh, I've noticed a lot of, you know, kind of both sides uh, on the Dak Prescott thing. A lot of people think that the offense is going to be fine with Prescott. A lot of people think it's going to be a total disaster and that you can't trust the preseason. I'm kind of somewhere in the middle. 
I think it will certainly hurt the passing game, and and Dez is going to move a little bit down my board. But I think the running game is going to be fine, and and I'll kind of a nice way to lead into this top 100 I'm going to do here in, in Zeke Elliott, uh, which I'll get to in a second. But uh, let's put it this way: I am not worried at all about Ezekiel Elliott without Tony Romo on the field. All right, so let's jump in. I just as quick as I can because I got Sigmund and and we got a lot of stuff, and I don't want to make this too long. I know a lot of people have busy schedules, so. Uh, I'm just going to run through the top 100, 10 by 10 here. I'm going by ADP on fantasypros.com. It's a good site if you want to get an aggregate of rankings, of ADP, of all that. They take, you know, the major sites plus a couple others. They have six sites, um, and and they average all the data uh, from whether it's from drafts or from rankings or whatever. So it's... um, it's a nice place to get kind of a representation of what the industry is looking at a whole as a whole, uh, because a lot of times ADP can be influenced by the site that you're doing a draft on, obviously expert rankings on those sites and all that kind of stuff. So, so looking at that top 10 and, and I'm going to kind of just talk generally, but um, obviously in PPR leagues, you are going to target receivers a little bit earlier. Uh, but in terms of just focusing on standard, because even though PPR is, is gaining in popularity, I, I think standard is still the, the predominant, um, style of play out there, but uh, I'll throw in some notes about PPR as we go. But looking at that top 10, I think you have those three top receivers clear at the top of the board. And I really like taking any of those three. If I have that first pick, uh, if I have one of those first three picks, obviously Antonio Brown for me is the number one clear fantasy pick. I don't think that's really a question because of the consistency, the low floor, the incredibly low floor and the incredibly high ceiling. Uh, and then OBJ and, and Julio, I'd be happy with any of those in the top three. It gets interesting at four. I personally go Todd Gurley there. I think he's going to be the top running back. I would go with him in either PPR or standard, actually, even though a lot of people go receiver, top four, top five there. A quick other few notes in that top tier there. I, I'm usually not going to end up with David Johnson. A lot of people love him, and the ceiling is obviously incredibly high, but uh, I, I'm a little more risk averse in the first round than most, so I, I'm not going to take that risk on on such a small sample size and an injury history as well. AP, I said you got to n- knock him down a little bit uh, in your rankings, but move Zeke Elliott up, man. I, I hate to say it as an Eagles fan, but I, I think Zeke is going to be a stud this year. He looked obviously great in that third preseason game. That O line is is really good. I know we joke about it, but but for fantasy purposes, it's really good. And I, I think if Dak hurts the passing game, his ability to run will at least open up the run game a little bit more, I think. And um, I, I think Zeke will be the beneficiary of that. Also think A.J. Green just perennially gets underrated year in, year out. And uh, obviously, I, I think he's a clear you know, top 10 guy and, and even a little higher. I'm, I'm happy taking him at that fifth, sixth, seventh spot, especially in a PPR league, criminally underrated every year. All right, moving on to that next group of 10 guys, when you're looking at Des Bryant, Lamar Miller, Le'Veon Bell, Devontae Freeman, Allen Robinson, Jamal Charles, Cam Newton, Jordy Nelson, and Brandon Marshall. Um, A few of those names jump out. I love Le'Veon, the three-game suspension. I'm taking him at that back end of the, the first round there, early second. I know there's a three-game risk and there's injury risk, but he's just the best player in fantasy. And if he's going to be on the field for 13 games, which is the hope, he's going to be a bigger difference maker than 
you know, whether it's Lamar Miller in my mind or Allen Robinson or Devontae Freeman or, or any of those guys going next. Also, Cam Newton, love the guy. He's, for me, he's clearly the number one quarterback in fantasy. Uh, we've said it on this podcast a fair amount. I stick to it. You don't have to take a quarterback that early, and, and nor should you this year. There's just too much depth later in the draft. Jordy Nelson is another name in there that's dropping for me. Uh, I'm just worried. We haven't gotten a chance to actually see him on the field. Uh, I think long term, I think over the course of the season, he could be okay, but... Uh, for how high he's going off that injury, I think uh, it could take him a few weeks to get back into the swing of things. Next group of 10, there are a few names that stand out, and obviously I can't read every single name here, but uh, Mark Ingram is the 20th player off the board on average. I think that's fine. I think he's a safe pick. Uh, the guy going right behind him, Doug Martin, worries me a lot more. Uh, we've seen him go season on, season off. Not that that's a, a trend, per se, that you can count on, um, but Martin worries me. I, I just... I'd feel much safer taking Mark Ingram there in that spot than taking Martin. And actually, Sean McCoy, who's at six spots lower, is someone I like as well. Brandon Cooks is a receiver in that range who seems to be jumping up the boards, and rightfully so. He was great over the last eight, ten games of last year, and I think that carries over. I feel like uh, Breeze is going to feel comfortable with Cooks, as we've seen, and He's a guy who, especially in PPR, should be going in that top 20 and, and in standard in that top 25 in my mind. I, I generally like that tier of receivers that you see here with Cooks and Cooper and, and Sammy Watkins. I think those are guys you can get if you, if you go running back in the first round or, or whatever, you know, running back in the first two, which has been a, a kind of a passe thing to do. I think those are receivers you can get who can – potentially produce number one value for you and get in the 20 to 30 range, which presents a big value in my mind. All right, moving on to that next group. Thomas Rawls is a name that stands out. I know that they're unequivocally saying he's the starter and the the go-to guy. I I still worry a little bit about that situation just because of the injury, because of Christine Michaels. So I'm probably taking him a little bit later. I'm also a little worried about Latavius Murray in that range as well. I like that he has the job unquestioned as of now, but DeAndre Washington has shown some stuff, and uh, you know Murray has never kind of jumped off the screen to me. So uh, that's another guy I'm a little weary about in that range, but, but understand if you're kind of forced in that direction. Moving on to the next group of 10 or so, the quarterbacks stand out. I'm not taking Luck or Breeze or any of those guys that early if they fall to me a couple rounds later. I'll, I'll take that plunge, but again, I, I think you can wait on quarterback. There's a lot of risk in this group here. DeMarco Murray, I don't like at all. I think Derrick Henry will be the, the lead guy there by the end of the season and be productive early in the season as well. Jonathan Stewart's a guy perennially. I, I'm just not going to be the guy who takes the plunge. It's worked, obviously, like last year, and, and many times it has not worked, so um, I, I'm avoiding that one. Uh, on to the next group of 10 here. Eric Decker at 51 is a guy that stands out as being underrated. Uh, guy produces every single year in a, in a good spot. Him and Fitz and Marshall all back together. I, I like him. I um, think that's a, a good range to get him and might even take him a little earlier. And, and it seems like he's actually dropping more than that in drafts. And again, to highlight Carson Palmer at 58, definitely not taking him there uh, or any quarterback there. Ryan Matthews at 55 worries me uh, for obvious reasons as Eagles fans know. Moving on to that next range, Dante Moncrief is at 62. He's moved up since then. He's definitely going a lot earlier than that, and he should. So I I like that. I'm taking Moncrief really in that fourth, fifth round range even. I think he's actually the thing I can count on the most in Indianapolis outside of luck, their connection. Looks legitimate, and, and Moncrief can make catches in traffic and 
looks physically the part, so I, I feel good about Moncrief. Uh, Langford, Jeremy Langford going one spot in front of him in general in drafts. Less excited about him. I know people have been more excited after he's shown some burst in the preseason. Uh, I, I said it the first time I spoke to you guys, and I'll say it again. I, do, I try not to get too carried away with preseason performance. I think that offense isn't going to be very good, and that'll translate as well. It's a reason I'm a little bit down on Alshon Jeffrey as well, if I mentioned that before. If I didn't mention that before, um, that and, of course, the soft tissue injuries. I also like Aaron Foster. I also like Arian Foster going at 69 here. It seems like a, a good area to take that type of risk. The upside obviously being extremely high. And, and after that last preseason game, you figure he's going to be a big part of that offense. Jay Ajayi does not impress me. Uh, next group, I'm worried about John Brown at 73. He's going higher than that for the most part. But even still, the headaches scare the crap out of me. Uh, if he's healthy, he's productive, obviously. Duke Johnson at 77, I like that a lot. I, I think Duke, especially in a PPR league, is going to have a lot of value. 70 catches as a rookie is is no joke, and I think Hugh Jackson will know how to use him well. Uh, moving on to that 80 to 90 range, D'Angelo Williams is there. Obviously, if you have Le'Veon Bell, I think you reach a round or two early to get D'Angelo Williams, but I'm fine with him going in that general range. The upside for him is obviously very high as well if Bell goes down. Um, and obviously those first three weeks. And then Amir Abdullah is a name there that I I can't seem to get mine, but I, I like the post-type sleeper idea. Obviously went way too high last year, but I, I do like Detroit's offense. I think Stafford's going to be better this year. I, I like that they're moving quick. I've said this on the last podcast, so I think there's some upside there as well. And in the last group, the 90 to 100, um, Justin Forsett I think is being undervalued at 97. He's a starting running back there, obviously, Older and whatnot, but uh, I, I like Forsett in that range. And then uh, Sterling Shepard jumps out as well at 99. I, I know there's been a lot of Victor Cruz talk, and the Giants want to get him involved. I'd be shocked if Victor Cruz plays any sort of significant role this season for the Giants. So I, I do think that Sterling Shepard will end up being valuable there. So that's my quick attempt to knock out a quick top 100. Uh, just quick recap for you guys and, and some of the guys I like and don't like in that range and where I would take them. All right, and now, as always, we will be joined by our weekly guest. You can find his stuff over at footballguys.com. He is one of the co-owners there. You absolutely want to get a subscription. It is totally worth it. Uh, and you can follow him on Twitter at his name, at Sigmund Bloom. Mr. Sigmund Bloom, what's up, brother? Just keeping uh, up with everything that's happening around the league. You know, we've uh, already today had a player get released, then traded, and might retire before the end of the day. These are all just the little appetizers. These are all the little crumbs before we get the main course. All right, so uh, let's jump in. And, and I wanted to start there with the uh, footballguys.com because, uh, again, uh, and Sigmund, you could tell everyone how they can go about getting a subscription and what the site is like. But um, you wrote a great article this week about a master plan. Uh, and having that going into a draft. And we've kind of talked in general about different strategies and, and whatnot. And obviously, you know, people pay for the site, so don't give it all away. But can you give us an idea of what you mean by when you, you talk about a master plan going into drafts? Well, you want to you be able to envision how the draft is going to go. And doing mock drafts and MFL 10s and things like that will help you. So you want to have an idea of your targets in certain rounds, uh, both positionally and individual players. Maybe a few players that you're going to organize your draft around. You know you're going to take uh, just somebody, a few players that you love. You, you, you'll take them a round or two earlier than ADP to make sure. And then you have an idea of how the other parts of your draft can mix and match. So you can think of it like a flow chart, you know. 
um, at tight end, for instance. I, I mean, I might look at Jordan Reed in the third round or fourth round. If I don't take Jordan Reed, then the next tight end I want to get might be Antonio Gates in the ninth round. So if I take Jordan Reed, then I can look at the ninth round. Well, that's now a round where I can take an upside wide receiver that I like, or maybe that's where I'm going to take my quarterback. Maybe that's where I'm looking at Philip Rivers. But if I if I don't get Jordan Reed, now I know I'm going to have to leave that ninth, tenth, eleventh round and part of my draft open for the tight ends that I like there. Or if you like Greg Olson, maybe you have him at the fifth or sixth round. So you think of it as cascading, and each with each decision that you make in your draft, it changes the options. So the, it's a plan that gives you an ability to anticipate how your draft is going to go. So it, in some ways it's structured, but it's not rigid. It's flexible. As you make decisions, you still let the draft come to you. So you're working within a framework, but you're still in the moment. You're still in that draft. So you're prepared. And it really makes it so that as your picks come up, you know, if Jordan Reed goes off the board, a pick in front, and you're not then flustered when your third round pick is on the clock. Now you're like, oh, well, here's the wide receivers I like. Here's the running backs I like. And then if you take a running back, you know what that triggers in the fourth and fifth round. So it's important to have a structure you're working with, know the players you like, know how you expect the positions to fall out, but at the same time be flexible and be in the moment during your draft. Yeah, and I would say that applies to auctions as well with dollar amounts, with knowing, all right, well, maybe if I have – 45 slotted for my RB1 and I get him for 40, I can filter those $5 somewhere else. Or if I don't get him, then my backup plan is, is 40 at wide receiver or whatever. Um, I think that's imperative in any sort of draft auction you're in. I think that's important stuff. Uh, I want to get into a few specific players, but um, real quick, uh, I wanted to touch on the new injury designations and uh, the idea that the essentially the, the concept of probable is going away and uh, you know it's going to leave a little bit more of that um, ambiguity heading into the weekend, heading into the games. Have you thought about, A, how this is going to affect the fantasy industry and, and you know, how you set your lineups? And, and B, if so, what kind of impact do you think it could have? Okay, so I'm really, truly not using this as just as an opportunity to pitch, but we have the guy. We, and there are a lot of good people doing medical analysis, like fantasy football medical intersection analysis. But we have the guy, and Dr. Gene Bramble, who's already been doing this for us. Uh, and it, it, we also have Craig Zumsteg, who has been – keeping an incredible injury database you know for this kind of injury this uh, players missed on average this many weeks how many times this player had a concussion in the past how many times the player hurt like their right foot their left foot their right leg left leg and so on uh and so what this is going to do is eliminate probable in what that gives us are those designations of well yeah this player's hurt but he, we expect him to play and if there's any chance a player's not going to play, he moves to questionable. So there's more players that we're going to have to examine. But we're always looking at, and Dr. Gene is al already calculating this. You know, there are certain teams, if a player doesn't practice on Friday, he's not going to play. However, there are exceptions. You know, certain veteran players, certain players that are so important, certain players that have been used to getting rest, sometimes they won't. They will not practice all week and play. Quarterbacks, obviously. Uh, and then on the flip side, there are types of injuries where – the, what the team tell us, tells us does not jive with the recovery for that injury or the mechanism that we saw where Dr. Gene and Craig are looking at the uh, mechanisms of injuries to see, well, they're saying it's a, a, not a high ankle sprain, but watch the way that the ankle bends. That looks like a high ankle sprain. There's no way he's playing one week after suffering that, no matter what they tell us. Uh, and, of course, we're looking at limited participation in practice. We're looking at full participation in practice and the nature of the limited participation because not all limited participation is created equal. So what Dr. Gene would say if he was on right now is not all questionables are created equal. And now we have a wider range of potential 
questionables. But we've always been parsing all of the information available, everything the team's telling us, everything that we can observe, everything we know about the history of this player to say this player is on the probable side of questionable and this player is on the doubtful side of questionable. So you're just going to have to make more fine-tuned decisions with those players. But in reality, at Football Guys, we've already been looking at the designations probable, questionable, doubtful as a, a starting point and and filling in all the other information to make an informed decision. Because players can play, questionable players can play, and you still probably don't want to play them. Yeah, you know? no, that's a great point. You know, you don't want a guy going out playing two plays and leaving the game and you're screwed. Or or just not being able to play his typical role. Yeah, a decoy or, per chance, something like yeah, that. Yeah, exactly. Sure. So so we've already been parsing all of this information to make the most informed decision on Sundays whenever we set our lineup. Now I think what this gives you is that information is more valuable because we can't just go by the injury designations. And the reality is this. In the cloak and dagger NFL, and we could do a whole sidebar yes, here absolutely. on how – how unnecessary it is that the NFL plays so many games with information. But in the cloak and dagger NFL, if you give teams the opportunity to obfuscate more information, mm-hmm. to play more games, yep. basically expect every injury report to look like Bill Belichick's injuries yeah. are 17 players are questionable. No, it's a great point. And, and you know, in, if the situation presents itself like that, it's hard to blame the coaches for taking advantage of rules that allow them to create a competitive advantage. So, uh, no, that's a great point. And go to footballguys.com because that type of stuff, that injury analysis, I mean, that is crucial as a fantasy football player on a week-to-week basis. Like Sigmund said, especially that type of stuff, uh, anyone who owned Calvin Johnson last year or even the last couple years knows those games where he's active and you put him in your lineup and then he's a decoy and gets zero targets the entire game and it stinks. So um, this is really valuable stuff, Sigmund. Um, all right, speaking of, of injuries, it's a good way to segue into some specific situations. Uh, obviously, I think the biggest news of the last week or so in the fantasy world was the uh, injury or I guess re-injury of, of Deion Lewis and the need for him to have the scope out six to eight, or excuse me, eight to 10 weeks, at least six weeks on the pup list. Uh, a, uh, do you like James White or LeGarrette Blunt more? And it, I guess it could be a, a specific to different types of leagues. And B, and maybe more importantly, do you think Deion Lewis comes back and has an impact this year, thus kind of mitigating whatever value you get from those guys? Not knowing the nature of the cleanup, but hearing this two-month timeline. I mean, look, if he's ready to go in two months into the season, then I think he will have an impact. Uh, it, it's easy to underestimate how good he was last year if you weren't watching the Patriots. He was fantastic. He was even better than his numbers indicate. He was one of the most dynamic players in the almost like if Darren Sproles, early career Darren Sproles, mm-hmm. would have actually had a, a big role yeah, in an great, offense. Great comparison. Uh, it was just so dynamic in the open field, so creative, so sudden, and running with that compact style and power, excellent out of the backfield, getting red zone work in a tremendous offense. So Deion Lewis and James White, I actually have ranked right next to each other because I think you're looking at one half of the season with White, one half with Lewis, Mm. with White having some more upside in the sense that if Lewis struggles, you have White for the rest of the year, but Lewis being able to do more with that role. And ideally, you know, if you can spend, say, a 12th and 13th round pick in a PPR league and pick them both up, I think that's fine because that role produced running back one numbers last year. Now, White was doing it with Julian Edelman out of the lineup, so maybe James White is not as dependable as 
with Deion Lewis, but we'll see that right away in week one, uh, how New England does against Arizona. That should be a high-scoring game, so I wouldn't mind rolling out James White as my flex and going from there. Uh, We'll look at White and Lewis, I think, as back half of your draft players, but this does help LeGarrette Blunt. I think it may incline the team to play a little more LeGarrette Blunt ball, especially with Jimmy Garoppolo out there. Uh, James White is not the player that Deion Lewis is in, in the game plan, and Deion Lewis was playing 65% of the snaps. I don't think James White's going to play more than 50% of the snaps, so that gives you some more like Eric Blunt. Something we have to watch, though, for this whole situation is one of the things that slowed down. So I'd say Blunt's more of a ninth, 10th round pick, and Blunt is simple. The weeks that we like New England to win, you're going to play like Eric mm-hmm. Blunt. And then we'll look at matchups, too, because in some ways, Bill Belichick isn't as unpredictable as his reputation. If you're playing lighter fronts, then you're going to see a lot more running. If you're playing a heavy front, you're going to see a lot more quick passing. It just depends on the, the matchup. We can look at that. And we can anticipate that. But I think in the background here is the bigger story with New England. And in the same day that Dion Lewis went, uh, the announcement about his second Sebastian surgery. Sebastian Vollmer. Sebastian yeah, Vollmer. I totally agree. Going on that was and, my next, thank you for asking my next question about how yeah, worried yeah. are you about the Pats offense. That, that well, was so, literally my and, follow-up. And, and the hits keep coming, right? Because Shaq Mason, the starting guard, has a broken hand. He's out indefinitely. And now Brian Stork, who got in a fight uh, and he had a bad penalty in the AFC championship game, got in a fight in the joint practice with the Bears. He's been traded for a seventh, conditional seventh-round pick to Washington after it was out-reported that he was released. Mm-hmm. And then Scott McLuhan says, released? Wait, I don't see anything on the official wire. Hey, well, how about you? I throw a pick at you. <laughs> and now he might even retire. He's had concussion issues. Wow. So that's their starting center. So you have Nate Solder back. And the rookie, Joe Thune, has been excellent at guard. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, Marcus Cannon's going to start at right tackle. Yeah. That's not ideal. No. David Andrews is going to start at center. Yeah, I mean, that's not – maybe not a he big down. He started some last year, got some work, but yeah. I right. Agree. You know, I think Josh Klein at guard, um, that's not ideal. And the offensive line struggles last year. So it was a, a kind of a perfect storm in a negative way as Lewis goes out, as Edelman goes out. And the offensive line started to fall apart last year. And Solder's big. I mean, Solder's their best player on the offensive line. So getting him back is not minor. But you have a team going into the season with an offensive line that is way below what they had hoped or expected. Uh, They have Edelman, Lewis down to White. Because what we saw last year was Tom Brady in the first half of the year was the number one fantasy quarterback by a good margin. Tom Brady... Now, uh, you know, Martellus Bennett you know, and Gronk, are they kept in the block more and run fewer routes? Maybe this could be something that helps Blunt uh, because they become more conservative. There's questions about this offense, and it's sad because if, with everything lined up, if we would have been talking about this offense three months ago, we would have said, look out. Yeah. Yeah, this could be the most productive offense. This could be the best array of weapons that Brady has had. But the offensive line is an issue, and we're going to be holding our breath. And, you know, that test on – Arizona, week one, Chandler Jones, old yeah, teammate. back in town. And, you know, Clayus Campbell and so on. Uh, it's going to be very interesting, especially without Brady for the first four weeks. We're going to learn a lot about the New England offense, and you're going to have to take some of these New England players on a little bit of faith with this piecemeal offensive line. Yeah, I totally agree, especially after last year. They were a mash unit last year. It dealt with the same type of stuff. Volmer was their rock last year. Losing him is is just huge. I couldn't agree more. And, and it also really hurts the depth because they're already on to their, you know, six, seventh, eighth guys on the line. And, you know, you got to fill in behind that and then more injuries happen. It's a, I agree. I'm worried about that situation. Uh, one more running back situation I want to get into real quick with you. Uh, Cause Pete Carroll came out and did say 
that he expects Thomas Rawls to be ready for week one. Uh, this is about three weeks into the Christian Michael hype train literally taking off the ground and flying around the world. It's so out of control. Um, how do you take this news and you still see uh, the potential for a, a, a committee type approach with Michael or is this, you know, if you're taking Rawls or are you taking Rawls earlier now because of this news? I had Rawls in the fifth round. I think that's about where the break point is. He was a borderline running back one last year, uh, really running back one whenever he took over the role. And he, this was a situation where, you know, if we were having a conversation about the Seattle offensive line before Rawls took over the running game, we'd say, well, Seattle offensive line's a mess. And then Rawls takes over yeah. and all of a sudden yeah, it looks great. great. Yeah, and great. Seattle's another, and by the way, Seattle, another offensive line where we're saying, Tom Cable, do your trick. Dante Scarnecchia, yeah. New England. Tricks. They have a few full, new, few new people on that line this year as well. Yeah, yeah, pull a rabbit out of a hat. But anyway, Rawls was so good last year. It's so rare for a rookie to have five and a half yards of carry like he did on a pretty good volume. Again, coming into a situation that we would have said was not great at the time he went into it. Uh, there's a little bit of concern here that he'll still be eased in coming off of an ankle surgery, dislocated ankle. You know, this is not even an ACL. It, it, Dion Lewis says, wait a second, but even an ACL with typical recovery, we really expect the player to be close to themselves uh, that you know, 10, 11 months after the injury. This injury is a little bit different. And Kristen Michael. And Kristen Michael, I yes, I was one of those fantasy Twitter folks drumbeat last year. <laughs> and, and, and just as soon as he got drafted, if you go back and watch him at A&M, Kristen Michael is a, a almost ideal NFL running back if he just had a little bit better vision. But physically, what he gives you to work with is fantastic, and he runs with urgency, burst, great lateral agility, so compact, so tough to bring down. It was never the talent. It was never what he could bring to the field that was the question. It was his approach to the game. Now we have multiple reports from coaches, from teammates, that that has changed. Now you have Rawls who, you know, they're not going to give Rawls, maybe Rawls could ramp up to 20, 22 carries a game over the course of the year. They're not going to give them that in this first contact action. Okay, that gives Michael 8, 10, 12, 14 carries playing against Miami, Dalmakong, Sue and company, but at home, Michael's going to get a decent amount of work in that game. And Michael is good enough that you won't be able to put him back in the bottle. And this could be a Rawls-Michael committee for sure. So I think if you take Rawls, uh, you probably take Michael in the 13, 14 round, but the right answer here might be just to take Michael because if they end up with similar roles, then Michael is the value here. And we could, you know, Seattle's running game has been so productive and the team has such a good defense and the game script set up the running game enough that they could both be low-end running back twos to begin the season and then we wait and see if one of them gets hurt or one of them seizes the role. But look, Michael's talent is real. I mean, this is a, a running back that in pure upside represents one of the top 10 or 15 running backs in the league. He's going to have a chance to get his foot in the door. From all reports, he's doing everything off the field to capitalize on that chance. Thomas Rawls, Kristen Michael, it's a good problem to have for the Seahawks. Not a great one for fantasy, but as long as Michael remains in the second half of drafts, he's the one to target. Yeah, I totally agree, especially in Seattle where they're notorious for, you know, letting guys earn it on the field. And I just think if Michael goes out and performs, especially in week one in real live action, I don't think they're just going to sit him back on the bench. I think that's a great point. All right, it's that time, the time that I look forward to throughout the entire interview every week. It's time to go inside the mind of Sigmund Bloom. And Sigmund, we've gotten your, your thoughts on some movies, some music. I, I want to go a little bit more into the people here. Uh, so uh, kind of like a golf foursome, but I'm not a golfer, so uh, I'm going to go with dinner. So if you could go to dinner 
uh, spend an evening, so to speak, with three other people, alive or dead. So essentially, your dinner foursome. Uh, you're the fourth, obviously. Uh, who would they be and why? Wow. See, these are questions that I wish I wish I had like a to day. give them ahead of you. Well, it's funny. Yeah, just a yeah, little yeah. inside baseball. I asked Sigmund before we ever did an interview together. I'm like, do you want to know any questions, anything ahead of time? And he yeah, said, no. nope. This is <laughs> so it's more, on you. Yeah, well, fantasy football and football questions. This is way, way more important than that. Um, <laughs> I'll say I'll say uh, uh, Hunter Thompson. I mean, Hunter Thompson immediately, immediately, yes, because no he's got, got to liven things up. He might bring and some the stories. Uh, come on, extra extracurriculars. Yes, to that too. <laughs> liven up. In, he'll he'll be he'll be with us in the kitchen, you know. Yeah, uh, um, and and yeah, just the stories, the perspective on life, and, and so on. Um, you know, my 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 threesome is probably going to be. Uh, it's going to show like a, a bit of a depraved side, but I'll add in Charles Bukowski. Oh, I and love it. That's, that the, is depraved. The, 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 older, the older I've gotten, I mean, I really fell in love with Bukowski's work when I was younger. The older I've gotten, I've got to say some of the stuff, it's, it, it read, read through the 21st century lens is, is questionable, but his perspective on human beings, his honesty on human beings would probably, uh, you know, it just cuts right through everything. And, um, and you know, I'm going to stick with writers here just because I feel like you know the mind of people when you know their writing. Um, and, th and then I would say we need some heart. You know, we have the exhilaration. We have sort of the voice of the gutter in, uh, mm -hmm. in, in Bukowski. And then I'll say Kurt Vonnegut to round it out just because that's where the humanity is. Still honesty. All of these guys honest. Uh, honest about the human condition. Honest about their experience of the human condition. But those are three people that I... I spent a lot of time with inside of their minds and, and them inside of my minds and the ability to actually experience the, the real people and, and even see them play off of each other. Uh, and obviously, you know, there'd be a lot of drinking and other things and it would <laughs> yes, be something be that would go well into the night. And then with Hunter Thompson there, who knows where the night would lead. So that, that you know, as long as you have Hunter Thompson, does it even matter who the other two people are? No, the, Hunter Thompson was the correct answer to the question. <laughs> But uh, no, that's awesome. And, and, and like we always say, that is a, a nice uh, look into your mind because uh, my first thought, and, and I haven't really picked out my three, but my first thought was something like Jesus. Because it's like, just to know, just to know like what that dude was like, what really happened, all that. But um, I, I love the way you went about it and, and the, the concept of being inside their minds and getting to, to actually, you know, interact is, is fascinating. And I, I love the way you answered that, Sigmund. So that's why I love the question, inside the mind of Sigmund Bloom. So again, uh, Sigmund, anything coming up on footballguys.com this week you want to put out there? Yeah, our cracking fan duel. And it's exactly Ooh. what it sounds like. Is, oh, I, that's I, yeah, man. I'm with yeah, you. I write a fan duel article for Rotowire, so uh, F, uh, DFS. So I feel you on that one. And there's even MLB and NBA chapters this year. Uh, it's free for subscribers. We're going to be giving away a ton of copies to that uh, of that book on Twitter if you're not a subscriber. So follow us, follow FBG News, follow David Dodds. Uh, you'll see a lot of giveaways of that. Uh, you know, rounding out our, our final push for draft season, uh, all of the different – I'm doing my ADP desirability articles, which are basically ranking players not 1 to 50, but ranking them by – how attractive they are at the price they cost, uh, whether they're a value or whether they're overvalued. Uh, and we also have that omnibus article we put out where the whole staff gets together to talk about their most undervalued, overvalued players and the deep sleepers you can get in the late rounds uh, and, and so on and so forth. I mean, we're in the deep end. We're, we're you know, no life preservers. Come <laughs> join us. 
<laughs> that is awesome. All right, everyone, check it out, footballguys.com. You cannot get better info. And again, like, you know, you just heard this interview, all the different types of information you can get as well. So um, we really appreciate it, Sigmund. We will talk to you again next week. Again, footballguys.com. Check him out on Twitter, at Sigmund Bloom. Sigmund, I'll talk to you next week. Can't wait. And that was Sigmund Bloom. Always, always awesome stuff from Sigmund. All right, so I'm going to try and get another podcast out by the weekend or, or Saturday so you have it for early drafts next week and, of course, um, you know, the weekend drafting if possible. And uh, it's the last chance to get in the podcast league. I will announce in that next pod who is in and when the draft is. But, uh, again, tweet me at James Seltzer, your best submission. You know, whatever you want to do, whether it's funny, heartfelt, I don't care. Just, Just – Make me smile, and you can be in the league with the BGN radio crew. All right, that's going to do it for episode three. We'll be back, as I said, pretty soon with episode four as we head into draft season. Everyone out there drafting before the next episode, good luck. All right, go out, kill it, and um, and let's uh, let's start uh, that that course right now towards a uh, a championship at the end of the season. This has been episode three of Twift of This Week in Fantasy, and I'll talk to you guys soon. I put you down to the bone gristle. Those beacons, scud missile, heat seeking. Johnny Blazer, nightmares like West Crate gunning. My third eye seen it coming before it happened. You know about them stabbing kids, they smashing everything, huh? And in any shape, form, or fashion. Now everybody talking about they blasting. Hmm. Is you busting still or is you flashing? Hmm. Talking out your Should've learned about the flow in PZ Afro, the Calgan Stallion, chinky eye and snot nose. From my naps, put the bunion on my big toe. I keeps it moving, know just what the f doing. Rap them somniac, beam to catch a nigga snoozing. Slip the cardiac, arrest me. Exorcist, hip hop, possess me. Punch a nigga like a nephew, you know my stage. Burning to a third degree, sneaky ass, alley cat, top pedigree. The head toucher, industry party bum rusher. You don't like it.